Hello and welcome to the Deerland Podcast. It's episode number three. We're live on location here at Sellens Deer Camp in Northeast Missouri. I'm joined today by our resident land specialist, Mr. Tyler Sellens, and uh, our big buck killer could not make it here tonight. So in his place, we've got somebody that's uh, equally as good looking and a lot wiser. We've got Walter Sellens, Tyler's dad, to uh, maybe teach us all a few things about deer season. There. All right. So, hey, how we doing, guys? Doing well. Good, good. My belly's full. Yes, yes. That was uh, very good. Uh, I had antelope for the first time tonight. And it was uh, good. It was very good. It was uh, chicken fried, I guess you'd call it, right mm-hmm. out of the cast iron skillet. You bet. And uh, very delicious. So a little fresh horseradish, ground horseradish on top. Um, first off, thanks for letting me in, invade your hunting camp down here. Yeah, thanks for um, coming. It is opening day of Missouri centerfire rifle season. and uh, That's almost a national holiday. It is. Know. It is. You know, and I, I'm always a little bit jealous because obviously we have to wait until this Friday in Illinois to, to get out and um, bring the equalizer out. And I could have definitely used that today, um, but uh, I'm, I'm sure that our later uh, gun opener has its uh, advantages when it comes to the the deer population as well. So very much so. Um, well, I guess uh, we've got some big news, and maybe we've we've got some people. That the only reason they're listening is they want to hear the story of of my deer. Um, a week ago tonight, I think I was watching Tyler Sellens do a somersault out of the back of my electric buggy, trying to throw my deer into the back of it that I had shot. <laughs> Hey, I got a 10 on the dismount. Yeah, I thought I'd broke his neck, but uh, he survived. I didn't hear all those details. Oh, man, it was uh, <laughs> it was quite a, quite a show, I'll tell you. Um, so, yeah, so I was very fortunate to have a chance to uh, fill a tag, be my second archery buck, um, was my biggest deer to date. A nice um, one. Very nice deer. Um, at the time, I wasn't sure what deer that it was. Um, and then even once we walked up on it, we weren't sure exactly. We thought it was a different one and then realized that it wasn't that one. But then it all kind of come together, and it was a deer that um, I, had, I had had history with since 2015. Um, had not seen him yet this year, um, and as far as I know, none of the neighbors had seen any pictures of him either. Um, the one neighbor had one picture of him last year. I had a few pictures of him last year. 2016 he was very very visible and that's the year that i thought i could really get onto this deer um, he was showing up quite regularly oh, yeah. um, i seen him during bow season um, i just wasn't uh, in the right position um, i think he's a seven and a half year old deer uh, the pictures i have of him in 2015 um, he could just be a super stud three-year-old but i i mean his body really looks filled out like a four-year-old um, he, he looked was, big in the picture. He looked like a big, heavy chest. Yes, and he just was a just a pretty typical ten pointer. Then you know he just had little crab claw G fours on each side, and actually it's kind of an ironic situation. Um, New Year's Eve, twenty fifteen, I had uh, a scrape that was still kind of going, and I actually I had some breeding action going on on camera that year. Well, at this one particular scrape, I had this deer. And another two-year-old deer, um, 
go at it, you know, locking horns and just sparring in two episodes within about an hour and a half span that night. And this deer that I just shot last weekend got his butt whipped both times by this two-year-old deer. Well, so this two-year-old deer, who is now a five-year-old deer this year, um, is the deer that I've been after. And um, he's been consistent. I believe I know exactly where he's bedded at. He's bedded on my farm. Doesn't happen very often. I have a 35-acre piece of land, a lot of does bedding there. Very rarely do I have uh, a mature buck that's sticking around, but this guy is. And I've got a good pattern on him. He has been my focus um, this season. So what's his name? Uh, I... <laughs> I don't name deer. Mike's not one for naming deer. No, I, you know, I I don't like all deer have names. They they do. They do. Um, and I, I just don't have an imagination. That's my problem is, um, I can't get creative. I I don't know how you don't name deer for as many times as you know, what camera they've been in front of at what time and what day. That's, and and I do. And I know that, uh, and this deer, this deer has become a problem because a problem. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Because I keep talking about him, and, you know, Tyler and the other guys are like, what what deer are you talking about? I'm like, the only thing I can come up with is I had this deer in front of me as a two-year-old, and, you know, he was a nice two-year-old, and I let him walk. So I call him the deer that I passed as a two-year-old. Um, I guess I should maybe call him the mule deer deer. Mule deer buck? The mule deer buck. Um, he has a flyer coming off of one of his G2s that's really deep, and when you get just the right angle, he looks like a mule deer. It looks like it's a split, but it's actually just a flyer that comes off to the side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that's what I should call him is the mule deer buck. Let's just call him Muley. Muley. There we go. So Named him. First yeah. deer. Yep. Yep. But he's a whitetail. Yes. <laughs> Muley's a whitetail. <laughs> you know, and, and normally it's the 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 big 10 or the you know the split g2 or the split g3 or mm-hmm. you know that's kind of how we name them i know louie he's got a name for every deer that's ever walked by a camera of his um so i should probably get a little bit more creative but i don't so um anyways those two deer were in that camera on that camera well then here we are three years later and I happened to take the older of the one that had gotten whipped, and I'm still after this other one. And he has um, had my number. Um, actually, the morning of last Saturday, um, I had him at 19 yards, this mule deer buck that I was after. He had crossed my big field, come into the timber, um, didn't have my grunt call with me. I had left it in the blind, so I didn't have a chance to try to you know, see if I could get him to come my way. He went into the timber. Um, I presumed that he was there, you know, to check for does and uh, could possibly be in their bedding. Um, and then about an hour and a half later, I just happened to look at my phone to see what time it was. It was like 1030. It was getting later in the morning, and I was yeah. trying to figure out how late I was going to sit there. So I went to reach my right pocket and pulled my phone out. And as I went down to look, my eyes go down, and I, I catch 19 yards, and there he is staring right at me. Uh-oh. And he had come in from a direction that – I was hoping he wouldn't. Any other direction that a deer were to come, if he'd have been coming the other way, uh, if he was headed um, south instead of north, I could have seen him coming, and um, I would have had cover. By the time he stepped out, I mean, I, I would have been, I would have been all right. So, um, so. So anyway, the best of all the plans usually go well, out yeah, the door. Well, yeah, you know, and he, 
he had been up there, and I knew he'd been bad. I mean, he had to have. I didn't see him come out anywhere else. And I was hoping that when he come and crossed this ditch that was in front of me, that he would come out to this little clearing where a lot of the does come. It's like a little corner, inside corner of a field. And I was hoping he was going to come up through that, and I could see him. And then once he stepped out into that um, inside corner of the field, then I have plenty of opportunity to shoot him. But he was just going to continue on, you know, down this uh, inside of the timber. And we just seen each other at the exact same time. And uh, he was headed towards my wind, the the wind in this position. It's a new stand location. I'd never hunted it before. Um, I'm finding out that it's hard to hunt with the wind. No matter what you do, the wind seems yeah. to be blowing down into the timber. Um, you know, my farm has a lot of big valleys big and valleys. stuff in it. Yeah. And that, that plays havoc on the wind. Um, so regardless, he stopped. We looked at each other for a while. I froze. He turned around and took like two steps back the other way, and then he stopped again. And I had grabbed my bow, and, you know, if it wouldn't have been so thick, I probably could have got a shot, but there was no shooting lanes, and I quickly realized that this isn't going to work. So he took those couple steps. He stood there for, you know, five or six seconds, and then he bounded off, you know, ran 25, 30 yards, crossed this little ditch, and then he gets onto uh, the hillside in front of me, and then he stops and he just walks away. So I'm not sure how spooked he was. It didn't sound like he spooked much. No. Did, did he come from the southwest? Yes, yes. So he come from. He come across that ditch already. Yep, yep. He had, he somehow got across that ditch. Of course, it, it had been raining. Everything was just quiet. And even when he bolted and I was watching him and he ran away, you couldn't hear anything. I mean, it was like he was walking on air. If you hadn't seen it with your own eyes, you would have known never. You would have never known that it happened. That's right. Um, so... To say that I was discouraged was an understatement, yeah. and I've done very well this year. I went into this season, and I think I even said it on a podcast towards the beginning. Um, my season was a success before the season ever opened. I've done so much habitat work to the farm and food plots and all of this stuff that I just feel like I've had a successful season. So whereas in years past, I'm highly stressed, I'm highly frustrated. Um, I feel that if I don't see a deer by uh, the rut time the rut's over, that my season's over with. Um, I've had very few sightings of mature deer, let alone encounters with them. But I went into this season just saying, you know what, I, it's already it's already good. So I had done a lot of scouting. I've got a couple new stand sites that I hadn't had before, and again did a lot of habitat work around. And I think. It's probably paying off. But, you know, that's half the fun of, it uh, is. Of, of deer hunting is the fact that you go out and do the pre-planning and harvesting animals, just the, the pinnac- icing on the cake. The yeah. pinnacle of what has taken place and all your planning. It is. Hard work. And it was a, a long summer and a, and a lot of work. So, and I think that's part of it. Uh, maybe why I had some success is just because I wasn't stressing about well, it. You, you can know? relax and have fun with it. Yep. And, I, and I've been trying to do that. So, but that morning I was very frustrated. And here's the reason why. If this deer would have been, you know, a bigger deer, you know, even that I didn't know that was just passing through, I don't think it would have bothered me at all because he was probably just passing through. I'm right. not going to see him again. Right. But this is a deer that I know is living on me, yeah. that I have a lot of history with, that I've got patterned pretty darn well. 
and I feel is very killable. And you don't get that very often on these small pieces. You know, you hear a lot of people saying, I'm going out to hunt this particular deer, or, yeah. you know, I'm in his bedroom or whatever. I don't have that opportunity very often, but this deer I do. And I've had, you know, this is my fourth year of history with him. Um, so even though he's going to score less than the deer that I shot last Saturday, uh, he means more just because of the history. Yeah. So I was, I was, I was frustrated. I thought, man, you know, you hate to, to spook deer, you know, cause you don't know what they're going to do. But again, I thought, well, he's not that, that spooked. So he may come back. So I went back home, um, played with the kids for a while and just kind of unwound. And then about noon, the kids were going to lay down, take a nap. I thought, you know what? I'm going to take a nap too. So I laid down, took a nap, didn't set an alarm or anything. Well, next thing you know, I woke up. It was like 3.30. Oh, my. I thought, uh-oh. You should be in the stand. Yes. So then <laughs> I thought, well, maybe I'm not even going to hunt tonight. Um, I've already blew it here. Um, I finally decided, well, I'll run out and I'll sit in this banks blind that's in my small field in my food plot. It's only 120 yards from the house. Um, so get in there pretty quick. Um, but I needed to hunt. So I went out there, um, honestly, zero expectations whatsoever to um, see a buck, you know, a shooter buck. Figured I'd see a couple does because that's right off some doe bedding, and um, that's what I was banking on. But Still nice to go sit on your own property and it watch is, the deer. It is, and I love that spot. It's the same field that I shot my 2015 buck out of. Um, it's the same spot where the last couple of years I've bailed on it when the rut has come and went to my quote-unquote rut stands yeah. and then watch – shooter deer come in and out of that field <laughs> or check child cameras and realize after the fact you should have been yes there. Yeah. yeah so last year i mean i went moved and i watched the deer with my own eyes and then checked cameras and there was even more so this is a it's a good spot especially early season so it's november 3rd um and my farm seems to do very well from about the 28th of october through the 3rd of november in that week time frame that's the best um, time to be out there it is it is and i think i have you know a doe or two that seems to come in early every year from what I have gathered. And that's why I start seeing, you know, these bucks coming through pretty early. So you definitely aren't going to kill one from the couch. And so I went out there and just tried to have a good attitude about it and, uh, got in the blind. Um, I actually bumped a deer, um, walking right into the field, uh, in the Southwest corner of this field. Um, I was walking up this little trail that I have. And then all of a sudden I heard a, a deer bust out. I could tell it was a little spike buck. And he was bedded right where I had to walk by. And so he took off. I thought, well, I guess at least it was him that I that I spooked and nothing else. So I just went in and got into the blind, got set up. And I sat there for a little while. And all of a sudden, here come that spike buck out. I'm like, well, he wasn't that spooked, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so I had the wind when that happened. So I think he just heard something. I don't even think he seen me. He just heard something and took off. So I'm sitting there, and then uh, there was another little basket rack seven-pointer that was out. And them two were dinking around with each other. Um, They would be on the other side of the draw um, in my bigger field. I could see them through the timber, and then um, they would, like, walk down towards that draw, and then they would walk away. And so my big field my small field is separated by a 25-yard wide, 20-yard wide draw that runs through there, and it's pretty thick towards the end it used to be thick all the way through and tyler and i went in and cut a bunch of honeysuckle a couple of years ago good open, for you get rid of the honeysuckle yes open some of that up it's coming um, back it is it, it's it's coming back so that's another podcast that I, i've got some ideas that hopefully we can we can work on it but the end of that the east end of that had always been super thick and my 2015 buck that's where he died at was in that really thick stuff 
Um, and these young bucks were just kind of messing around with that. And I didn't know what they were doing, um, but I kept my eye on them, but I was still trying to watch the field to see, you know, what may pop out there. And This went on for, I don't know, quite a while, half hour maybe. And then all of a sudden uh, the basket rack, he kind of took off um, the other direction. He headed off south, and, uh, again, they were across the draw as I was watching them. Well, then the spike buck, he kind of comes through um, the opening that I have to get from one field to the other comes out towards the food plot and he kept looking to the east towards the power lines like something was up over there and so I was looking with the binoculars into that timber see if I could see something moving around and I didn't see anything so then he's just feeding on the edge of the food plot and uh he was working towards me a little bit and just still just kind of feeding and then he would look back to that draw real quick and then he'd go feed and he just kept doing this over and over Well, then all of a sudden he decided he was going to go down towards that draw and check it out. So he walks down through and he gets, it's real tall grass, probably, you know, four foot tall grass on the edge of it there. And I watch him and he goes and he's standing in this tall grass. His tail is just about on the edge of it. And so I'm watching him for a while and all of a sudden I'm like, I'm tired of looking at this stupid spike bug. Yeah, you want to see something big. Yes. So I quit looking at him. I'm like, all right, he's there. I don't know what he's doing. And with these young deer, you can't try to figure out what they're doing because they don't know what they're doing half the time. Young bucks. Yes. So, heck, the old bus don't know what they're doing. Well, either. that's either, the, yeah, <laughs> yes, the young ones. <laughs> there are times where, uh, yeah, no one knows what's going on. But so I decided to to stop watching him, and I'm just out checking the the field out, looking straight ahead and over the food plot. And all of a sudden, that spike buck come by me, Mach three with his hair on fire, just boom, he was gone. Really? I thought, what the heck? So I turn and I look over. And there's this big buck standing there. And he had ran out to the edge of the field, ran this spike buck off. And then the, the buck that ended up shooting, he stopped and he turned around and then he faced back towards that draw that he had come out of. And he's just standing there, just posed, you know, just like a statue. How far is he now? 44 yards. Oh. Last yeah. podcast, Mike. Uh... We had a discussion about this. So I'm, I'm going I'm to run through my, my thought processes. Um, when this all happens. So there's a couple caveats here, I guess. For one, um, this there's, is only the second shooter deer that I've ever had, you know, within 50 yards of bow range where there was a shot. So I don't have a lot of experience with this. It happens very fast, and there's a lot of stuff you have to go through in your mind when this does happen. Right. Was not expecting it. So there he is standing there. Right out this window, the same window that I had just shot a doe out of the week before. And I think, oh, man, that might be a shooter deer. And I couldn't figure out what deer it was. He was really tall. I knew he was narrow, but he just was tall. Well, he turned, and I looked, and I could see his main beam. It almost looked bladed in a way. You could tell there was some good mass in the main beam, you know, where like the two or the three kind of met. I thought, all right, I'm shooting this deer. I'm just, I'm going to do it. So I hadn't quite figured out just how far he was. So I opened the window, the bank's blind, and I'm grabbing for my bow and I'm grabbing for my range finder and I'm trying to do all this at once. And And be quiet. Yes, and still be quiet. Now, luckily I had a great wind. The wind was blowing straight from him, straight to me at about... I don't know, eight mile an hour or so, just a good steady wind. So yeah. I wasn't worried about that. And then he seemed to be just dead focused back to where he come from in that draw. 
and I presume that he was wanting to make sure there was nothing else around, you know, before he went back in there, he was going to run anything else off that was hanging around, but right. he was just a statue standing there. Like I said, perfect quarter away. Um, just looked beautiful standing there. Again, this is on like two and a half seconds and I'm, I'm watching this. So I was able to get the window open, get my range finder. I had my range finder in the wrong hand. I'm left-handed. I had it in my right hand. So I'm trying to come across my body with the left eye, get it. My bow's over here. So I'm trying to grab my bow with my left hand and, you know, multitask this. And I got the range on him at 44 yards. So it just so happened that 48 hours before this, we had recorded a podcast and the, the talk of longer shots had come up because I had shot a doe there at 32 yards um, and the shot was a little bit back. Now, granted, she only made it 40 yards and, you know, she was um, she was dead. But we were talking about just how much stuff can happen when you get out there, you know, 40, 45 yards. Oh, so many things can take place. Yep. The deer can drop. They can wheel. Um, you know, the, the wind can play more of a factor because you're losing a little bit more kinetic energy as that arrow goes out. Right. Um, and we talked about those and I said, you know, I don't know that I would take a shot that far just from what I have seen. <laughs> However, <laughs> didn't think twice, did you? <laughs> no. So <laughs> it just happened and you did it. I'm going to admit that there is a, a part of the reason that this deer got shot at was because of the experience that I'd had that morning of getting picked out of the tree. Right. That's the deer that I wanted. But I thought, I've blown this, and I'm mad, and I may not see this deer again. And this deer looks pretty good, um, so I'm going to shoot him. And it felt right, so I had the range on him. I'm shooting a single-pin sight now, so I went and, and adjusted it between the 40 and the 50. Here's the other thing to this. When I practice, I did a lot of practicing this summer at 50 and 60 yards just to, you know, get a little bit longer range practice. Yep. But my standard just in-season shooting is 20, 30, 40, you know. Right. Um, and my groups at 40 are so much better than my 30-yard groups. I can't explain it. It's a single pin sight. Uh, it's the same pin going up and down. But without doubt every single group at 40 yards is better than what it is at 30 yards really don't know why so i felt good that's a nice problem to have it is it is and you know i haven't shot at 45 but i've shot at 50 and 60 and i'm pretty hard on myself um you know i like to hit that little you know two inch dot that you're shooting at uh, i like to put the arrows in that Whereas, you know, there's an eight-inch insert, and they're always all within that. And i got to realize that a big, mature whitetail, if you can hit it in an eight-inch yeah, circle. It's a pie plate. Yeah, you're, you're going to be doing all right. Yeah. So, you hit, if you can hit a two-inch circle every time, you're doing pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that, that was going through my head as I knew that I had shot at 40. This deer just seemed to be in a different world. He was not paying attention to anything else. Um, I think having a quarter to way shot helped too. It looks like the target's a little bit bigger. You have a little bit more room for error at right. that point. Right. So again, these are all things that are, this whole thing probably happened in 10 seconds from the time that, that he went by to the time that he come back, it was no time flat. So I drew back on him and that sight picture, it just seemed like it was a foot in diameter. I mean, I, I could just see everything perfect that pin just floated right there. And I actually, I ended up shooting him a touch forward since he was quartered away. 
if he was broadside, I mean, I tucked it right in behind that shoulder. Really? It just felt good, and I, I was shooting lighted knocks, oh. which I had never done before. Um, but when I shot that doe, uh, they weren't on there, and I never did find the arrow. Couldn't tell where the point of impact was, so I went and bought lighted knocks. Did you find a lighted knock to be a little distracting? No. Distracting? No. Really? No. I mean, of course, it doesn't activate until it releases. So, right. you know, um, I will never shoot a piece of archery tackle again that doesn't have a lighted knock on yeah. period. Yeah. And so when I pulled back on him and I got settled in, it just felt good. And I, I am confident that if I had pulled back and it just didn't feel right, that I wouldn't have taken that shot. But it just, it did. It Everything lined up. It felt good. And so I let that release go and I watched that lighted knock. And I watched it just tuck right in there behind that shoulder. And he took off, and I could see the lighted knock go with him, and it fell out about 15 yards later. Really? I heard some crashing going down through this draw, and then I heard a big crash, and it sounded like a like a dead branch breaking off of a tree, and then nothing. Well, then all of a sudden I seen a doe take off from where he had come from and run down that draw. Well, hindsight, it appears he was bedded in there with a doe. With a doe. When I even got in there, when I walked into that stand, I must have walked right across that field, and he was in there and didn't see me. Of course, I was quiet yeah. and had the wind. Yeah. Um, but that's what he was doing is he was protecting that doe that he He's was focused. He was locked down with. Yeah. So. You know, I, I Which don't. Which that plays into you taking a shot, too. It does. Yeah, if he's distracted, you know, you can. Yeah, it wasn't even like he was eating or anything. I mean, he he was just, he was focused. He was not paying attention to anything else. He didn't drop. I mean, that arrow hit him, and then he took off. I mean, um, so it was it was the perfect conditions to take a 44-yard yeah, shot. Yeah. Um, I felt really good about it. So, so after the shot, I'm not sure what happened. Um I'm not sure what deer this was, um, what it was that I actually shot, to be honest with you. And uh, so I send Tyler a message and let him know that I had shot one, um, that it was a 44-yard shot. Um, but I seen the arrow go in, and it was right in behind the shoulder, and it looked good, that I had heard some crashing, and then a, a brief pause, and then another crash, and then nothing else. But some other deer had taken off, and I wasn't sure – who had left that draw and who hadn't? Yeah. You you weren't sure what went where, and yeah. you, you told me it would it crashed. I thought okay, dead deer, but then you said it got up and then more and then another crash. I'm like, well, I don't know, but it's kind of like rather be safe than sorry. Might as well just yeah stay put. Yeah. And well, and the other thing too, I shot him at five o two, and I believe uh, the end of shooting light was like. I don't know, two hours later almost, you know, an hour and a half later. Of course, this was the day before the time change. Oh. So um, so there was still plenty of hunting left, and it just so happened that I had already purchased a, a second um, either sex archery tag because we had went down to Louis and hunted the, the two days before that. So I already had another buck tag in my pocket ready to go. Oh. So I said, well, I'm not going to get in a hurry. If he's dead, he's still going to be there. Yeah. So I just knocked up another arrow and just sat there and uh, waited for Tyler to come. I told him when he gets there, get in the buggy and drive out, and um, either he's going to be there or he's not. So I waited, and it got dark. And uh, I knew Tyler was on his way, so I decided to at least climb down and see if I could find blood uh, or the arrow or something. <laughs> and so 
I got down and I went and I, I've got one of these uh, camera lights and it's what you can put on to like a video camera or even just a regular picture camera. Photographers use it. It's just a real bright white LED light. Yeah. And it really lights up a, a, a swath, you know, 20 feet by 20 feet. And I'm out there looking and looking and looking. Once again, not a drop of blood. Uh-oh. And I thought, well, this is not good. So as I'm walking up and down the field trying to, to find something, um, I look over and I could see my lighted knock inside the timber. So I just kind of snuck in. It was only in about five or six feet, but it was multi-floor rows, just real thick stuff. So I was trying to be quiet. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> it's impossible. So I got the arrow and, and got back out and I looked at it and it had about six inches of the arrow busted off. Um, but they had blood on it, probably another eight or 10 inches up the shaft. So I'm like, all right, this is a good sign. You know, the broadhead and part of the arrow is still in him, but I had deeper penetration. So I presumed that it went through, you know, hit offside shoulder, maybe stopped it, broke the arrow off, something along those lines. So I was pretty confident that the deer was in that draw, but you still never know. And I wasn't going to go in there and mess something up until Tyler got there because if we screwed it up, I wanted it to be both of our faults and not just mine. So <laughs> You don't want him pointing a finger, right? Exactly, exactly. So and just a couple minutes later, he showed he up. He wanted to point the finger at me. Yeah. <laughs> he uh, he showed up, and then I kind of showed him where it went in and, you know, the direction it went, and, and he kind of went down a little bit. And I, I was just going to follow the, the exact trail that the deer was taking, and Tyler picked up blood in there a little ways. I just went down 20 yards, and then he kind of said where it went, and I thought, well – you're looking for blood right here. I'm just going to go down 20 yards and cut through the – I just basically went straight through the middle of it. I thought I'll walk through it, and if I pick up blood in the draw, I'll follow it. And if I don't, then we'll back out and go down and keep trying it. And I went in and just instantly found blood. And I, the minute you saw the blood, you're like, that's ah, a dead deer. I mean, you could tell it was just blood everywhere, and it was good lung blood. And, and I never did see it, you know, because by the time I was fighting through all the thick stuff – he told me he was on blood. I'm trying to catch up. Well, then he found the deer. I mean, the deer only went 20, 30 yards. Oh, I mean, it's all over. Once he got in the woods there, yeah, I mean, just back into quick. the draw, he didn't go far. Yeah, he was stiff by the time we got there two hours oh. after the shot. Yeah, wow. very stiff. Um, uh, so, you know, so then Tyler's like, well, are you excited? And, you know. Well, and, you didn't seem overly excited. No, and, and we've talked about this a little bit during turkey hunting. And I haven't figured out what it is. And I think, Walt, you and I kind of had a quick conversation about this at turkey camp last year. I don't know if that, with me being a cop, if part of that is I'm just used to these, you know, having the adrenaline rushes and, you know, um, the high peaks that I just, I stay more level. You know, I don't get real fired up. I'm happy. You're assessing Uh, the whole situation. Yeah. You know, I just, I've been trained to just keep an even keel. Um, and, and not get too, too wound up about stuff. Yep. So I was very thankful, but I'm not one of these guys to jump and scream and shout and, you know, um, but also I wasn't shaking real bad. Like when I shot, I mean, I just was able to keep it together, I yeah. guess. Um, I didn't get too worked up and I was the same way with my first deer, with my first turkey, um, and I don't know what it, it goes is. back. You're shooting. You're shooting your bow on a regular basis, yep. and you're practiced. And so you've you've actually trained yourself to, for that particular shot. And once it presents itself, you just kind of fall into the pattern. And, and that's what that's what I did too. You know, I mean, it just it felt. I think part of it was because I had time. I didn't rush. You know, I knew what I was, what I was doing. You know, I had a perfect sight picture. It was in an open food plot. You know, yep. didn't have to worry about finding a shooting lane or something like that. But. 
so very thankful. Um, and then we went through to try to figure out what deer it was. And then we finally figured out what deer it was and that it had history with him. And, um, he was a little bit bigger than what I had thought. I mean, Tyler's problem. Yes. Tyler it's, wasn't it was sure. Actually, it was actually a neighbor that kind of pointed us to what deer it was. Yeah. They, they, cause, cause we were kind of puzzled. Like what deer is this? And he, he, uh, well, Louie was with him and, uh, said three way. It was like three, that is three way. Cause you started looking at him. Remember the long G three yep. on him and yep. that was a, a dead giveaway. For yeah. Him. So the neighbor had named that deer three way. I, I had maybe conceitedly named it the Bowley buck in 2016 because I had seen that darn deer so often that I just called it my deer, yeah, you know, your property, yeah. you know, I was had seeing, your name on him. I was seeing him all the time and I truly thought I was going to get after him. Um, so yeah, so we had a couple of different names, but that ultimately ended up being him. Um, not a huge body deer. Um, uh, but again, you look back at pictures from 15, 16, 17, and then now into 18, he peaked last year at 17 and that, which I believe was as a six year old. And then I think now he's come down and I just think he was an old seven year old deer. I mean, he was just, um, not, uh, not as big bodied as maybe he was at four five, six. Um, still a big deer, yeah. You know, nonetheless. Um, but uh, but yeah. So I I was very thankful. Um, Tyler put the tape to him later on, and he uh, come out to one fifty nine and seven eighths. That's good. You'd have thought I could have found another eight. You eight would have, inch in you would have thought, but you know, my twenty fifteen deer, uh, Tyler is the one that measured that one as well, and he come up with one forty nine and six eighths on that one. Oh, so <laughs> um, I don't know if it's a coincidence or what, but Maybe it's a guy measuring. I'm, yeah. I'm good with math, so I keep a running tally in my head. Yeah, right. Yeah, so if I, I'm getting close, I'll start shortening up on some <laughs> on some eighth inches there. So yeah, so I, I, I've uh, I've got one, I've got one deer in the 140s and one deer in the 150s. I guess technically, that's good. But uh, it's a trophy, no matter what. It is. It is. You know, I was very thankful to uh, get him to the taxidermist and uh, you know get one more. Get on a the full wall. body mount. No, no. <laughs> um, if you see, that's the other thing too, is, uh, our good friend, Ryan Kirby, um, he keeps asking me what I'm going to do an original, have an original commissioned. And originally I, I had told him, well, I shoot a 200 inch deer, then, mm. then I'll do one. And I got thinking, man, I don't know how likely that is. So I may do like a 180. If I, if I'm able to get a 180 on the ground, I may end up having, an original oil painting done with it. We'll see what the story is. Yeah. Um, but, uh, no, I'm going to do a nice pedestal mount. Um, you know, I put them in my basement, and I've only got seven-foot ceilings down there, so it, they look a little weird if they're on the wall. Sure. Um, so Tyler's I, got one on a pedestal. It looks real good. Yeah, so I found a, a pedestal idea. I've got a, a place to put it. It doesn't come out very far, and it's you have the opportunity to, to, to mount two different deer. Oh. So I'm trying to, you know, think ahead, you know. Um, so I've got uh, room for expansion, I there guess. Um, so that's kind of the plan there. Well, maybe your they, son gets they a do take up, kills one. Why, yes. There you go. you got dads and sons. The, the only thing about a pedestal mount is they do take up some real estate. Well, the, the one that I that I had found just has a base that is probably – 18 inches by 18 inches, two foot by two foot. And then it's just got a tree limb, you know, coming up off of it that kind of forks off. So it doesn't stick out very far um, and it won't take up too much space. Um, And I've got a window in my basement that's just in front of the fireplace. It's kind of dead space. You can't really put a chair there. 
there was just nothing to put there. And I got to look, and I'm like, man, that would be a perfect yeah. place to put this. Yeah. So that's the plan for now is to uh, to put that there. You can always build on. Yes. Did and actually, the, the <laughs> pedestal that I, that I had built or the display that I built for my 2015 deer, it's got a, a spot for two deer on it. But in 2013, I, I my first ever mature deer I ever seen in the woods, um, I shot and killed him uh, with shotgun. And he's a little deer, and he's busted. One side's all busted off. But I still had him mounted. Yep. I had been shotgun hunting off and on for 10 years and had never seen a mature deer. And at the time, I was having problems finding, even finding a place to hunt. I didn't know if I was going to go another 10 years without seeing another deer that way. And I thought, you know what? You have to start somewhere. That's right. So I was, I'm still proud of that deer. I look at it all the time. People say, why would you mount that? Well, it's my first one. That's right. The first one's always special. Yes. No matter what. And I, Definitely I, when, you do it, when you do it all by yourself. Yes. And I have, uh, the, the skull caps off of my very first, um, buck, a little, little bitty forkhorn shot in 2007. And I'll never forget the feeling on that one. You'd have thought I shot a booner. I mean, I was so happy. Yep. So I've got that one on a plaque, and then I've got uh, the first buck that I shot on my farm in 2014 in gun season, a little 8.2-year-old. You know, I got that as a school cap. So I've got some sort of amount for every, you know, multi-antlered buck I ever shot. I mean, I've shot a couple button bucks and, you know, a little spike, I think, once. But other than that, I've got every either the skull cap or a full mount of, of all those deer, and I'm proud of every last one of them. They all have a story. And we talk about on this podcast that it's not all about – score you know we're looking for it shouldn't be about score. no and we're looking for age deer um us you know me louie and tyler that's kind of what we're looking for is mature deer but if there's a guy out there that he's just looking for a three-year-old deer as long as he's shooting a deer that makes him happy yep shoot what makes you happy you darn right you know and that's that's what is most important in all this is end of the day we're all at different levels of uh Maybe what makes us happy or what our goals are. Yeah, I mean, just the other morning I had a, a, a three-year-old eight-point come by that was a 130-inch deer. I mean, just a nice solid eight. And if somebody would have shot him, I wouldn't have downgraded them at all. It was a nice oh, deer. No. But yeah. he just wasn't what I was looking for. And especially when I've got one buck left for the season and I've still got this other deer I'm after. I mean, um, it's a short list of deer that, I, that I'm going to fill my second tag with. But um, you just got to do what, what you're proud of and, you know, don't ever – feel that you're not good enough i guess because your deer didn't score whatever so there's too much of that going on unfortunately I agree. In, I agree. in the outdoors so so yeah so that was the story of of my buck um and the season's not over yet either. no it's not you know it's what is it november 10th here um we've got a few days of the rut left um and then gun season coming up, yeah. and then second gun season, and yeah. then muzzleloader season, yeah. and I've got two acres of standing beans, and yeah. um, so plenty of opportunity yet to come. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I hope you tag out this week, Mike. Well, and I was thinking about that too. I'm thinking, especially bet- when it's really cold outside. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. He's got some good buddies <laughs> that come out and uh, you know hunt some occupy of those yeah. bank blinds. Yeah. You know, you just keep the LP in there, and we'll uh, we'll hunt them. Yeah, so. Um, I am, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to, uh, to gun season, you know, but part of me, I don't know. I'm torn. Do I want to tag out this week and not hunt gun season? Like Walt and I talked about off air. I got a brand new slug gun that, uh, that I invested in pretty deeply, um, that, uh, I'm excited to shoot, but. I, I like your words, your terminology about, <clears throat> excuse me, you invest. Yes. Yeah. That's what I tell my wife. Yes. <laughs> it's an investment. It really is. And, uh. That's that's how I justify it to myself. So, um, 
but I'm not going to let uh, a good deer walk by just because it's not quite gun season yet. If I see one that I'm going to be happy with, yep. I'm going to shoot that's it. That's what you should do. So, um, so that's a, that's enough of me rambling on about about my deer. Um, what uh, what have you guys been seeing down here in Missouri this past week? Been seeing a lot of deer um, today. I've sh- I shot all day. As did I. Only difference between you and I is you're set with seventy degrees, and mine was I had a, a high of twenty eight and a low of <laughs> ten. So, <laughs> and I saw deer all day long. Yeah, they were oh. up moving good today. Yeah, they were a lot of younger bucks. Um, I had one decent buck. In uh, like the good thing about trail cams is it kind of gives you an inventory of what's on your property. Yes, and uh, Tyler's been on me enough that don't shoot the little ones that uh we've let enough of them walk over the years it is starting to really pay off i think and i could have probably killed this one today and been 10 years ago but uh instead i watched him for almost uh 40 minutes in my deer stand watched him uh, dog a doe around there and watched him bed down get back up move around lay back down and so yeah it was a good a good day in the blind so a little bit of rut activity yet i mean oh yeah, oh, yeah. i had some bucks just up uh you know, noon today I had a buck, a little buck come through, just shows up behind me and just cruising. Yeah. And, and I'd had several other deer throughout the day were doing the same thing, and a few of them they were bumping does. But I did notice a lot of, uh, you know, fawns that were just kind of off by themselves. Yeah, they were just kind of wandering around, kind so of lost-like. It kind of gives me the indication that maybe we're in, you know, lockdown right now. Or there's a lot of does getting bred. So um, I think maybe some of the more mature deer, or if they're not in – with a doe right now we're out looking yeah um so you might catch them traveling between the toes yeah and it sounds like you know this was opening day your rifle season but it wasn't quite uh the volley of shots that you typically would hear on an opening day it sounded like crickets this morning but it was also uh maybe a whopping 10 degrees yeah i think the weather had a lot to do with it It snow on ground and it was crunchy this morning and there there was no stealth and stealthiness getting in this morning well get out and walk go in there and get in and no, I, I think Louie Louis sent us a message something about how loud it was, and I almost replied, yeah, I can hear you from Missouri. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's just, yeah. it, it was uh, nothing quiet. I bumped a couple deer going in this morning, and they could hear me, and I could hear them where they were going too. So, I mean, it was it was no uh, – Yeah, the good thing is I don't think they really knew what, what, was, what going was going on. on. Yeah. It was a human. It was just noise. Yeah, and uh, – I stayed in bed this morning. I didn't you, hunt. You did. You know, I I just I didn't have a good spot for it. Um, I it, think that the message this morning was that you didn't have an LP tank in your bank spline. Well, that was a big part of that's. <laughs> I think I, that was ninety nine point nine percent of the determining said, factor whether or not you were hunting this I didn't morning. Have hey, a, it's warm in bed. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't have a spot. I hunted daylight to dark. Never left. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah, <laughs> it um, was cold. How cold I'll, was it, Tyler? It was cold. I'll just say that. The one thing I will promise you is if it was opening day of Illinois' shotgun season, I would not have been in bed, nope. um, but I was not going to go out there with a bow and arrow that bundled up where I couldn't hardly move. I don't blame you. Um, and I wasn't sure what the bow was going to do when it got that cold, you know? I mean, uh, <laughs> you wouldn't want to break it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to break it. So um, it was it was nice to actually take a morning off. I had hunted, um, you know, mornings and evenings for three days in a row and that's kind of about my limit i need to take a, a sit off after about six or so yeah. um you just kind of clear my head a little bit and you know kind of recharge um so that's what i did um so yeah i killed that deer saturday and then i didn't hunt sunday monday tuesday 
the weather wasn't the best Monday, Tuesday, you know, it was raining a lot. Right. Um, and I just killed a deer, so I wasn't as motivated. I probably would have went and sat in a blind if I hadn't have killed one yet. Um, but, uh, again, I just needed to recharge a little bit. I'd yeah. hunted a lot leading up if to last Saturday. If your head's not into it, it's not a fun That's day. A, that's day a big thing, yep. Yeah. So, yeah, I went back out Wednesday, back after this mule deer buck in his spot, and I had the right wind Wednesday, Thursday, Friday uh, to hunt him in this one spot. And he hadn't been there since uh, the Saturday before, I think it was, um, or even that Thursday before. It had been seven or eight days before he had been in that location. But the trail camera history that I had, going back to how important those things can be, is I knew he would show back up in this spot. There was no doubt about it. It's just a matter of time is if I can have the right wind to be there when that happens. So, again, Wednesday morning, night, Thursday morning, night, Friday morning, Friday night. Um, I guess it would have been, what is today? Today's Saturday. So it would have been Friday morning. I'm sitting there. And... uh here he comes about 20 minutes after daylight. I was a little late getting into the stand, overslept, slept right through my alarm, which is another reason why I, I think I slept in this morning is if I went to bed at a good time and had a good eight-hour sleep, and I still slept through my alarm. I think I was just tired. Yeah. So, uh, But I got out there, got into the stand clean, didn't bump any deer, and sure enough, here he comes, and he was doing the same thing he had always done. Um, but when he got close, there was two different things he would do. Sometimes he would come check a scrape a little bit closer to me, or sometimes he would check one about 10 yards the other way. Well, he chose to go to the one that was a little bit further away, kind of out in the, the open food plot area, and I'm in the timber. Well, he was walking along, and it was kind of thick, but I could see him, and then he just stopped. And it had to be right where my trail come in, right where I walked through this food plot, which I'd been taking that that same path, Every time I had sat there, I sprayed my boots down with, you know, scent-free stuff. Right. There was fresh snow on the ground that morning, um, which I wasn't sure if that was going to help or hinder the uh, the scent-checking capabilities of a deer. Uh, I know that, you know, like with beagles and stuff or rabbits, if it's real dry, they have a hard time getting on a trail. And if it's a little wetter, then they can get on one. So right. I wasn't sure what that was going to do. But either way, he got close, and he stopped. And I thought, uh-oh. And there was no shot opportunity. I mean, uh, it was real thick. He was a little bit, you know, he's probably 40 yards away, 45 yards away through the, the timber. And I seen him lift up his leg and put it back down. He did it twice, his front right leg. Wasn't stomping, but he was just picking it up and slowly putting it back down. I thought, well, this isn't looking good. No, not usually. Yeah, so then he turns and goes to walk away and actually walk right back towards my f- other food plots. And I get a little wound up. And... uh <laughs> So I grab the the old grunt call, and I, I give him a grunt, and he stops. Really? Turns his front end. I can see his front two legs kind of turn, and he's looking back. And I just sat there and quiet for a while, and he did that. He stood there for a few seconds, and then he went to take off again. Gave him another grunt. He stopped, looked back. I thought, oh, you know, I'm getting his attention. So I just sat there. Well, then he goes to take, take off again. He's walking, not running, just walking away, walking the other way. Well, I thought, well... I'm going to throw you a snort wheeze. And I threw a snort wheeze. I didn't make it through the first note of that snort wheeze, and he bolted like a <laughs> flash of lightning, and he was gone. I thought, well, so I had sent the guys a message, and Tyler's like, well, why didn't you rattle at him? You've done everything else. <laughs> so. Surprised you didn't throw a few yelps at him and yeah. a little coyote house if he'd come back. 
you know, and honest, in hindsight, uh, he was spooked, and, you know, I should have just let him go, especially when he's walking back to the center of my property where all my food plots and all that is. But I got wound up, and it's part of it. Yeah, it's hunting. But I, but I learned a lesson. I learned a great lesson, yep. and uh, I didn't mess anything up big, you know. Um, I don't think he knew what was going on. Um, but I learned a good lesson from it that I'll carry going forward. So it wasn't for naught, you know. Right. Um, he so probably yeah. made a mental note on that uh, that grunt and that snort wheeze. So next time he hears it, just to kind of chuckle and keep on. Well, so and yeah, that's Mike Bowling. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> ah, there's Mike snort yeah. wheezing at me again. He'll just kind of nod at you. Now, and the, keep now going. the deer are naming us. Right? Yeah. 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 No kidding. Um, so I, I since then. Uh, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. And I was, again, down a little bit thinking, man, there's chance number two at this deer. You know, how many times am I going to have a chance before he just packs up shop and, you know, moves to the neighbors and, you know, never seen again? So I thought, well, I've got to just be smart about what I'm doing here. I don't want to blow too many opportunities with gun season coming. You know, that's like I said, that's the equalizer. It's not like it's December 31st. No, no. So, but I I don't want to just stay at home for the next week. You know, I I still want to get out there. So um, I thought, well, I'm just going to hunt smart. And uh, so tonight I went and set the the small food plot where I had shot. uh, The last two times I had sat there, I'd shot a deer. I'd shot my doe a couple weeks ago and, and that buck last week. And I thought, well, maybe I'll have a little more magic. You know, last Saturday I went and sat there and uh, had no intentions on seeing a shooter buck and had one down. So anything can happen. It's the rut, you know. I mean, anything's possible. So that's where I sat tonight. Had a bunch of does come out um, in different waves. Um, They weren't fawns. A couple of them may have been yearlings. Uh, I've got my resident doe that lives right there. She's got a double throat patch, and this is the fourth year that I've watched her come out there. What's her name? Um, (laughs) Well, I was just thinking of that. (laughs) Double throat patch. No, come on. More unique. How about Whitey? No, so so get this. So in my head, I'd been thinking about double throat patch. Yeah, that's too long. I thought... Now DT, and I thought, well, DT is like that's like deep throat. So then I was just I was just calling her deep throat to myself. So I don't I don't know. It, that's what happens. You get me to try to start naming these deer, and it it, it just ends up not good. But <laughs> probably not a good idea for Mike to name them. Yeah. So last night she had come out all the way at the other end of the farm into one of the bean plots, and she had her two fawns with her. Well, then the night she comes out by her normal home. And she had this yearling doe with her, not these fawns. So I'm not sure what was going on there. Uh, it's, it's obviously and, and her. You notice, I, today I noticed uh, the two does that were I thought were in heat were both not old does, and they weren't the yearlings. They were the kind of that in between yes. ones, you know. Yep. So I don't know whether I don't know when they cycle. Well, and and the they say I mean first. they will. You know, sometimes they may be a touch later than some yeah. of the others. But uh, um, so anyway, so I, they're coming out. I had a, a single one come out first. And then I had uh, it, it left, and then I had another two come out, and then they worked off and headed towards my big field where the standing beans are. And then I had two more that came out um, after that. So I had five does total that had come through the plot, and it's getting to be end of legal light, and it was actually about six minutes before legal light. And I look up, and coming from the power lines, which is where I'd been hunting this mule deer buck where his spot was that I knew he was at, through the opening, the, the the entrance through there, here comes this deer, and I see tall tines, oh and I thought, uh-oh, this might be him. And you yeah. can obviously tell right away that it's a good buck. Right. So the window's a little iced over, 
And so I get the binoculars on him, and I could tell his G2s, G3s are long, you know, really long twos and threes. This mule deer buck has, you know, flyers off of each G2, and I wasn't able to see them through the binoculars, but it's about 120 yards through a froggy, frosty window and a little bit of timber when he when he kept going through. So I just opened the window and got on him. Um, he did turn his head once. I didn't see those flyers, but again, it was some distance. I have no other deer that I've ever had on camera that are somewhat close to that deer, and he came from his area. I mean, I'm 90% sure it was him coming back, and he never did come into this field. He went into the, the big field. I would have to presume that there was several deer out in those bean fields eating, you know, in those bean plots. Um, but I did. I thought, ooh, do I grunt at him? But then I thought, you know what? He just heard me grunt, you know, the other day. It didn't work. Yeah. And even then, there's six Should've, minutes or whatever to legal light. It's Should have rattled. Yeah. <laughs> so I was just happy to know that even if it wasn't him, it's a deer that's just as big as him. Yeah, maybe and, replace the other one. Yes, and he's on the farm. Yeah. So, you know, I got that little bit more uh, uh, fire lit under me now, you know, after you see, it, see a good one yeah. uh, tonight. So I've got a good game plan going forward. I'm going right back to that spot that I was I was sitting at where I've seen him a few times. Yep. As long as I have the wind, yep. um, I may change up my entry strategy. I may kind of go in through the timber. It's going to make a little ruckus because I don't have a, a path through there. Um, but if I get in there early enough that even with this frozen snow, you're going to make noise even if you walk through the food plot. Yeah, I mean, so, you'll be making it far enough away that he wouldn't make you need Yeah, and, and I want to set it up so when he, if he were to cross my trail where I come into my stand that he would have already walked through a shooting lane. And, you know, if it's a deer I'm not going to shoot and he gets my wind, I'm not as concerned at this point. Right. And then if it's this deer I'm after, by the time he gets to my, my scent trail, I'm going to already have my shot. So that's that's my theory going forward with him. So, yeah, I'm, I'm reinvigorated. Uh, I went ahead and took this whole week off vacation. Oh. And uh, I'm going to be doing some hunting and getting ready for, for gun season. So um, that's where we're at. I don't know where the rut's at on my place. I mean, they, they come in early. I think we had some lockdown earlier this week, um, but then yesterday morning I did see a little bit of cruising action going on uh, with nice three-year-old deer, some younger bucks coming by. Not a lot of chasing necessarily, um, but still some cruising. So I think we've went through one, maybe one round of lockdown. We may be getting close to another. And, yep. um, but I still think there's there's still some time left for sure. Yeah. So another Put the week. hours in the stand and you'll, yep. it'll, it'll work for you. Yep. So, uh, so that's where we're at uh in illinois so i think what we need to do is is we need to uh talk to walter here and i mean he's our our guest of honor this week and i've got some things that i want to want to talk to you about um that i think uh could draw a different perspective to hunting uh, where it's come from where it is today um so you grew up here in northeast Missouri. I did. Um, we're in Clark County here, right? That's correct. And you grew up in Scotland County? No, uh, Shelby. Shelby County. County. <coughs> Shelby County. Shelby County. Down around Bethel, Missouri. Bethel, Missouri. Okay. Um, and uh, I presume that you you hunted as a kid and. Yeah. Um, um, actually, I, I kind of got into the hunting side of it when uh, my dad was a World War II vet. Okay. In uh, in nineteen sixty two or sixty three. Uh, we burned wood heat, and uh, he had a tree fall on him and broke his leg, and he ended up having his leg amputated. So my hunting with Dad was kind of limited to whatever he could physically do. Mm-hmm. And he was an amputee above the leg. And I remember my first deer hunt with him, 
I was born in 55, so I think I was probably 9 or 10 years old. And you got to... Dad told me stories about deer hunting in Missouri back then that it was not common to see deer. And I think he told me one story where him and the neighbor had hunted a deer with a twenty two rifle, and um, it, it was kind of like a almost a whole day event to get this deer killed. But I was young enough, I don't remember the whole story. <clears throat> but the second one, the first one I ever went with Dad with, he had uh, we killed a nice a nice buck for back then. Um, but dad hunted from a, a car. And of course, this is back before, and everybody talked about handicap and whether right. they could do that or not. We just did it. And uh, dad smoked Lucky Strike uh, cigarettes. And we had this Galaxy 500 car, and we was on a neighbor's farm. And it was a nice, a nice enough day, morning. And we'd pulled back into the pasture on the hillside, and I, I could still see dad having the door open on the driver's side and him standing out smoking this cigarette. And the radio was turned on softly in there, and I'm a young kid sitting in the other one. And he has a thirty thirty lever action uh, rifle there, Model 94, one same one I shot with. And this buck comes walking up the bottom of a ditch, not real far down, but probably a 60, 70-yard shot. And he shoots and kills it. And Dad being handicapped, he couldn't go down the hill. And another neighbor was in the area, and... Of course, no cell phones back right. then. The neighbor just happened to be hunting the same piece of property, and he came walking up there and helped Dad and I get that buck into the back of the trunk. And I don't even know if we gutted it, but I was just a young kid. But that buck is still at, on my wall at home. And I took it to school and made a walnut plaque when I got old enough to do that. And uh, that buck was probably an eight-pointer maybe. And I don't know. You've seen the rack, Tyler. What's it measure? Uh, I don't know. It's it's small. A lot. <clears throat> I, I call it almost a, a basket rack nowadays to compare. Yeah, to I mean, right. but but back then in in that part of Shelby County, that was a trophy. We wow. we took it home and and hung it up in the meat room there in the house, and and we had neighbors come around to just to see the rack, and so it was kind of a conversation piece, kind of a big deal, if you will. Nowadays, it wouldn't even we would all laugh at at seeing it here. So back then, how was deer season? Were there tags or? Um, Oh gosh! I, of course, even it, if there was, there were things were. It was just a different world back then. Oh I mean, yeah, I mean, Dad, we farmed. We had uh, seven hundred and some odd acres, and, and uh, I think they had a farm tag. So you had to write yeah. your name down on a piece of cardboard, put a string around it, you know, and that was a farm tag. That simple, yeah, yeah. And I and I know of a lot of people too that back then, they even in Illinois would go out with a thirty thirty or something. If they needed meat in the freezer, they would just walk out and yeah. find the deer and shoot it and. Yeah. I'm sure it wasn't illegal, but back in the 60s and 50s, you did what you had to do to survive. That's right, you, know, you did. Um, just a different world. But uh, So you were, what, about nine or so when that happened? Nine so or ten. Mid-60s. Then I got involved with uh, with with archery mm-hmm. and uh, killed my first deer with a Ben Pearson bow. I still have that bow. I think it, it pulls 42 pounds, if I recall. Oh, wow. Recurve? Yeah, recurve. That's yeah, an old recurve. And uh, set on top of a brush pile and killed a doe. And uh, there was a radio contest. KHMO Radio had to send in your your deer uh, information. So we took it to the locker, and I think it weighed 126 pounds. And I ended up winning a a quiver for my bow, and I thought I was hot stuff back then. Wow. I'd really done something, but um, it wasn't a very big deer. 
And, of course, a bit back then, we didn't have uh, four-wheelers or you know, or side-by-sides, anything like that. I had a 50 John Deere tractor that I was old enough to drive, and uh-huh. that was my four-wheeler. And uh, it was down a dirt road, and at the other end of the dirt road, my sister and her husband lived. Mm-hmm. So when I killed that, that doe that morning, I on down the road to my sister's house, got them out of bed, and needed help. So Richard came up and helped me load that doe in the front of the the uh, on the hood of dad's 50 oh, john wow. deere tractor and we strapped it on and then i drove it back home that way i think we still got a picture of that somewhere <laughs> so about how old were you uh, when that happened oh gosh i don't know i, I got into deer hunting uh, after i don't know i was probably 12 or 13 well, I, didn't have, I didn't have a car because wow obviously i was driving the 50 john deere that, right that was my four-wheeler so. wow I, I guess I didn't realize there was many people archery hunting, you know, at that well, time. Well, and I, I ordered that uh, that bow out of, uh, if I recall, Dad got the magazine at the MFA store from uh, uh, Gander Mountain, I believe. And, you know, back then you had to lay it out and make out the order for yeah. it, like pencil or, or pen, and then you sent it in through the mail, and then you waited. And, you know, so the, so the anticipation of always building the whole time for what was going to come in the mail. Wow. Mom used to order my clothes through Sears and Roebuck right. same way, you know. So so did you just teach yourself how to shoot archery? Yeah. Uh, you know what that arm guard is for? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I learned. I got, I got a red arm several yes. times from that. And, and, and I'm, learn quick. I'm all self-taught as well. Yeah. Uh, and I learned about, you know, turning that elbow in, you know, making sure that yeah. elbow's out yeah. and uh, it, it – a few shots like that and you'll have a, a nice uh of course during this time when i was getting into the archery side of it uh fred bear was a big uh, a big discussion in uh i know when i bought my uh, broadheads i had the fred bear broadheads uh-huh. i believe with the little inserts in them and i think i may still have a couple of them in the drawer downstairs i'll be in room uh, wow i don't throw anything away you know <laughs> but you know you guys are sitting here talking about trail cams and and naming these deer and knowing what you have we didn't have trail cams no back then. You know, uh, all we had was tracks in the road or tracks in the bottom of the ditch. And you'd look at those tracks and, you know, you'd think, gosh, that's a huge deer. That's a – look at the size of that. Look at the dew claws on it. Yep. And I don't hear you guys talk about that now. No. And and that's the the one thing that I, in particular, am very lacking. My woodsmanship skills are non-existent. You know, everything that I know about hunting and the outdoors, I've taught myself. I mean, I didn't have anybody to teach me growing up, never had a dad, uh, nobody in my family hunted. Um, so I've really learned these last four or five years with a ton of YouTube videos and sure. reading, you know, stuff on forums and, and guys like Tyler to give me some advice and, you know, guidance and stuff like that. But then just getting out and doing it, some trial and error. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that I wish I was better about is my woodsmanship skills. And I try to get better now. When I walk in or out to the stand, I'm looking for tracks. Uh, I don't care if it's fawn tracks, doe tracks. I'm trying to figure out what direction they're going, how fresh they are. Um, You know, if maybe they're in one of my old boot tracks. I mean, just these little things like that that uh, I think is is gone today. Um, I like the technology. I love naming my deer. I mean, I run 11 trail cameras on 35 acres of land. Um, so I love that. It's it's a hobby of mine. Right. But sometimes I think it would have been a, a different uh, experience back then to just. Well, but see, I, yeah, I was big into outdoor life, the magazine. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think mom had a subscription to it. And I would sit and read that, you know, go to bed at night. And I would lay in bed and I'd read the outdoor life. And uh, I, I would, I, I remember one guy talking in. Outdoor life. I've seen this today when I was watching these deer in the wood. About look for the woods is full of vertical lines. Uh huh. 
and he was saying, watch for the horizontal lines. I do that. I remember that. I thought about that today because I was looking through the woods. And, you and taught me that as a young kid as, as when you're looking through the woods, vertical lines are normal, horizontal lines are not. And I'm looking through and something caught my eye, and it was the midsection of a deer. Yeah. The back end was covered by a tree. The front end and the head was covered by a tree. But, but I can see the body line. in there. And I looked at that. What's that? And I pull up and look, and it's a deer. It's 100 yards off through the woods. But yeah. oh, I caught that. Out. It just yeah. stuck out to me. Wow. So so my dad wasn't one that, uh, when he was in the military, he always talked about he got all the camping he ever wanted to do right. when he was in the military. So he had no desire to do it after that. Um, but he had no objections to, to me hunting or, he, in fact, he encouraged it. Uh, in fact, the rifle I was hunting with today, I got in 1973, I believe, a Winchester Model 70, 243, and it was a pride and joy. We kept it underneath the couch. So company would come, and Dad say, show them the gun. And they'd, invariably, they'd be sitting at the couch. So you'd move your legs a minute, and I'd pull out <laughs> that gun and, and show them my 243. And I'm sure our, our whoever I was showing it to was probably looking at, this kid has that. You yeah. Know? Well, that was I still got my first gun. You know, and, and and I can see where your your dad would come from, that he probably didn't have a desire to go out there, but at least he still allowed or encouraged you to have that opportunity. And but, but we did deer hunt. I mean, uh, that, that was that, something that we would was still a, do that together. A, that's something we still do today. That's the reason and opening day is so important to me with uh, Tyler and uh, my grandson, is that uh, dad always got up, and mom was big on doing the uh, Opening morning. Yeah, uh, we had breakfast. I remember one year we got. I think we got up at three o'clock in the morning. My calculations was so we could have everything done. Dad would. Uh, we'd have breakfast, and we had to have our coffee. Dad had his office call. He always called in the morning, <laughs> and then uh, you'd have to help Dad get dressed by getting his uh, shoes on his peg legs, what yep. he called it. And then I go out to the shed and get the fifty John Deere out and had a heat hauser on it, and uh, that's what we went to the woods with and. I remember Dad shooting a doe from that that uh, tractor one morning. We was up by the by the windmill, and I don't know how he saw, but this little it turned out to be a fawn, and that's another story about Dad. But uh, this small doe was standing out in the middle of the bean field, and Dad was still in the pasture with this. And I'm riding on the fender part of the 50 John Deere, and Dad reaches down and flicks that switch off and pulls the clutch back on it, and uh, grabbed the rifle. And the heat houser has a, a, a plastic windshield above it. Mm-hmm. And he laid that over the top of that. And that deer was looking straight at us. And he hit that thing right in the middle of the neck. Just wow. whacked it right over the... So I always thought Dad was a heck of a shot. Right. And he was. He was a good shot. So, But he's always a good sport about deer hunting. You know, he knew that I liked it. And even after I got married, uh, I know when I got out of police training institute in November, I started. It was six weeks back then. And... Uh, we got out of, I think I graduated on a Friday afternoon, got in the truck and run to, to Shelby County as fast as we could get there. And I think I bought an out-of-state tag. And at that time, I think it was like $35 or oh, wow. something for an out-of-state Missouri tag. And uh, I was there by, but for opening morning, Saturday morning. You know, you didn't miss that. Wow. You could miss the other parts of the week, but you didn't miss Saturday morning. Right. And that's why it's so important to me now. You know, and that's... I, that's why I told Tyler I wanted to come down here on opening day or, you know, at least opening day eve just because 
I know that it's got to mean a lot, you know, it's, it's tradition. And, you know, me growing up, I never had that chance, but I've seen everybody else get to do it and always wanted to. So that's part of the reason why I look forward to Illinois gun season. And I'm thankful to get to, to go to a a deer camp of a few guys that we get together every year and hang out. And, um, well, you start with building traditions by just doing it. Yes. uh, Dad, they left the farm in 1990 and that was his last year to hunt the, the deer. Um, he went to the, him and mom went to a senior housing <clears throat> and I went home and hunted with him at, and I had already bought this place on this side of the road at that particular time. And he, uh, he, he hunted from the truck still. And by that time we're getting permits to do it. Right. So he was doing it correctly, but he shot a really nice buck from the truck. Of course he couldn't go out and track it. So I was down the ditch. I come up the ditch and, uh, What'd you do, Dad? Well, I shot, and he was excited. Yeah, I, I shot a good one. I shot a good one. Okay, well, where's he at? I don't know. He ran off. <laughs> so I go down. I, of course, I have my rifle. I go down, walk through the woods, and I track this buck. And I ended up probably tracking him 100 yards or so, and he was still alive. And I uh-huh. finished him off for Dad. Of course, my sisters always accused me of shooting the deer for Dad <laughs> and then having it mounted. And that was not the way it happened at all. Dad shot that deer fair and square. Right. And we had it mounted. It was the biggest buck he'd ever killed. He'd always killed fawns, it seemed like, uh, over all of the years. Bambi. Bambi. Bambi We were always always kidding him about that. And, of course, my dad couldn't gut a deer without uh, kind of like Tyler does. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, happens to some of us. But I think dad probably played that up some, too, so I'd do it for him. Probably. Probably. Wow. So where is that mount at today? It's in my gun room. It is uh, downstairs. It yeah, is. Yeah, it's still good. It's still. It, I ought to bring it over here at some point. Yes, I, I think that's where it should be. Is here at camp, and um, I. So after after we we got uh, in 1990 when Dad and him went on to uh, sell a farm, why I, I uh, we'd already bought this place, and then Tyler was coming along at that time too. I'd already come along. Well, right. that time. Growing up a little. Yeah, I was yeah. getting older. Yeah, but our, our first deer season here was in the camper. And uh, I remember having it just a hundred yards away from the where the camper was parked. There's a, a picture on the wall over there. Is there? Yeah, up in that tree, just right over here on the edge of the field. Yeah, we put it there because Tyler was so small that I didn't figure he'd be able to set for that long. Uh-huh. And it was close enough that I could send him back to the camper and watch, watch him, him and still be able to stay on the stand so he could go back and be with mom. So that's wow. how he ended up here. So you would have been what? Six, seven, nineteen ninety. I've been uh, six. Wow. Do you remember that at all? Do you remember that early? You, I, I remember that stand over there vaguely, more so than the picture. Kind of brings back the memory of it, but I don't. I mean, that's just about. I remember going there. Probably the hunt that probably stands out to me most as a as a kid was one that we were back here. I don't know if that was bow season or gun season. I think we'd have hung, like, two deer stands and trees that were side-by-side, side maybe. We did. And we one, went, one ladder and two stands, two trees. They were that close. Okay, yeah, they were right by one another there. But we went back and hunted. Oh, was that gun season or or I think it was gun season. I think it was. Yeah, I don't morning. think it was. Was it opening morning? I think so. We went back here, and it just started snowing. It was and so it, quiet that it just It was peaceful. You could hear, I mean, nothing made a peep. 
But just every 15 minutes, you can kick an inch of snow off your stand. And we didn't see any deer. But no, we didn't see one deer the whole morning. But it was but a snowfall. It was so memorable to me anyway. Probably snowed six inches that morning. It seemed like it. So you, what was the, the story you were telling one of our other episodes about uh, your tree stand safety, the old oak, fallen oak tree or something? Oh, uh, well, that's kind of where the bank spline is now. We Where Dad used to take me across the road. There was an old fallen down oak tree that was just right where I could sit below him and he could sit up behind me. And that's where he'd take me and we'd go bow hunting. And wow. That was before I even bow hunted. That was just he'd you take, don't have to tell that old story. He'd take me along. <laughs> was that the five shots? Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Well, Miss. We shot and shot and shot at that deer. We never did kill it. Well, and, and he, he, he kept coming back, too. Yeah, he wouldn't run away either. So. He talked about that, and I told him, I don't believe that. Walt Sellins would ever shoot at a deer five times and not <laughs> yeah, not hit either. it. Yeah, a, a deer was a deer back then. I mean, it was a, it was probably a little basket rack six or eight point. I don't think it was a monster. Yeah, but, but part of that's being a dad, Tyler. You you wanted I, I wanted to kill something with you along, so you got the experience of it too. You know, and I'm already having those thoughts, and we yeah. talked about that on one of our other episodes. Is you know, I wanted to take my son out uh, when there was a chance to see deer for one. But also when there was a chance that I thought I would take even a doe or something yep. because I want him to have that feeling of success or, yes. you know, what goes in it, uh, what the harvest is like. I mean, um, he understands that, you know, the the buck I shot last week, he went out, took pictures of it, loved it. My daughter was a little leery at first, but my son was just up rubbing him, saying how soft he was and yep. stuff like that. But I want him to see the rest of the process as well. Sure. Um, but I want him to get kind of hooked early. You bet. And, uh, you know, I know these days we'd probably make it too easy on kids, you know, bringing, you know, some toys maybe or some food and stuff like that but i didn't have any of that when i was a kid. no and, and a lot didn't but no we had to pack it in you know you know um but i'm gonna do what i have to do to to get him out there and, and we'll start weaning that stuff off i guess you know but i want him to have positive experiences um and and enjoy his time out there so um the first one will be a little nervous to see you know how he does but i may even get him out here uh this year this fall in a blind with some heat um you know we'll kind of see how it goes but don't miss that opportunity no i don't want to and my son loves nothing more than to hang out with me the other night i think it was uh tuesday or wednesday night I uh, had to go to the bow shop up in Salem, Iowa to, to get some new arrows. And uh, his mom had said something to him about, you know, I might not be there because I had to go to the bow shop. And they got home, and I was still there. Well, he wants to go to the bow shop with me. Oh, So come on, I let's told go. him, said, let's go. <laughs> and my wife's like, well, what about, you know, me and your daughter? I said, well, you're not going to enjoy sitting at the bow shop and shooting. I said, so me and him will do it. We had to, I needed to go to the farm store to get some stuff. Yeah. So... So we piled up, and, and we took off up there. It was about an hour drive, and we got up there, and he did really well. I went around, showed him some of the mounts they had, and um, picked out a bow for him. I got an idea of a bow to get for him for his birthday uh, next spring. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so then we left and got back and went to the farm store, and then we went to supper together and just enjoyed it. And, you know, my son is just a very sweet kid. He's sweethearted. Um, you know, we'd be going down the road, and, He'd say, Daddy, and I'm like, what? I love you. And I'm thinking, man, you know, and he means it. You know, he just, it's just such a good boy. We don't get a chance to spend a lot of time together, just him and I, you know, without his sister or his mom being there. Um, You know, and me growing up and not having a dad, 
I cherish even those little things like that. You bet. So, you and uh, so, yeah, he loves nothing more than to, to be hanging out with me, and I can't wait to get him in the field and, and start teaching him a few things. And that's why I'm really trying to, like, cram as much stuff as I can to experience and knowledge oh, so I, I have the ability to pass it expose on. Expose him to all, everything you can at this, at this age. Yeah, and uh, he loves it. He loves the outdoors. He loves just being outside. And so I'm very, very thankful for that. Um, so now you're a grandfather yeah. and Spencer is getting to about that age where he's going to be going out more and more. I think I need to buy him a gun. Well, know. might be a little early, but and that's, that's never too early. That's been, <laughs> that's been the discussion at my house. You know, I'm probably going to start with the old red rider and then, you know, the 22 long rifle and, you know, kind of go from there. And I've already got the 22 long rifle. I'm going to pass on to him. That was my excuse for buying the 17 HMR. See, my, my, my first gun that my dad got me was for Christmas, and it was a used – he got it down at uh, Merkel's and Quincy at that time. It was a used CO2 pellet gun. Oh, wow. And uh, so we – and they wrapped it up, and I remember how they wrapped it because we were we were basically poor back then. Right. Uh, they wrapped it up in a rug. Yep. And put it behind the Christmas tree. And when you first looked at it, you didn't even think it was another gift. It was just mom's old rug back uh-huh. there. And then so you just got get that rug out. Oh, okay. So un- unroll that rug, and here's this uh, CO2 rifle. And so we fired it up, punctured the, the CO2, and put a pellet in it. And I went out bird hunting around the pond. And I know I got out there, and I think I shot it once or twice, and I was out of gas. Oh, no. Turned out it was a not a very good gun. So we went loaded back up and went back down to Keller's and bought a, I think it was a Sheridan uh, pump up. You could pump it up eight times, yep. pellet rifle, and a little lid. And it was just accurate. It's all get out. And then we didn't have it very long, and I traded it off and got my first twenty two rifle. So all within a year. And so I was glad that we progressed. And Rather that, quickly. That, that particular twenty two rifle was a Remington Speedmaster 552. Does that sound right? Yeah, I don't know. But Dad had an old... Uh, is that the one Dale has? Yeah. So Dad and I, before he left the farm, we got to doing a little horse trade, and I said, well, I like your old rifle better than I like mine. Well, I'll just trade you. Well, I'll sure will. Dad's wasn't old and had woodstock and went all the way up the barrel made by Mossberg, I believe. But it was a, a twenty two bolt action. And, oh, wow. Uh, it was just, I mean, you could hit eyeballs and, and sparrows at 100 yards, it felt like, you know. But... Uh, so I, I ended up with that, and then my nephew ended up with my old gun that I, I had traded Dad, So and he still has it. So Oh, good. So at least you know where it's at anyways. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that he's got it, and it's a piece of history. You know, yeah, pass yeah. Down. Huh, that's that's great. So, you know, that that's what I'm trying to figure out is how we're going to do this progression of the, the firearm thing, but I'll uh, – I'll figure it out, I oh, guess. Yeah. So yeah. we'll start him young. That's the thing. Yeah. Start him young. Get him involved. Um, but, uh, you know, my kid, you know, he's a smart boy, and I, I think, you know, he's getting to that point where he's ready and he can take instruction and, and yep. comprehend uh, safety and stuff like that. Yep. So, um, but uh, are you going to be taking Spencer out at some point, you think? you and I don't know. I hope so, aren't we? Yeah, we took him last year. We did, didn't we? We uh, we took him out Christmas Eve, Dad's birthday, and uh, yeah, Tyler and I've kind of done that over the years. Kind of, a, we went and sat in the banks blind, and Spencer went with us, and Dad took uh, took some oranges with us, some little little small oranges to eat, and and uh, I'd taken Spencer out earlier this year, and he's the one that brought it up. He said something about remember that time we went hunting with Grandpa, and I said yeah, and, and uh, I said you remember what we ate. 
he kind of stopped from it, thought, and he goes, oranges? So <laughs> it, uh, it obviously stuck out in his mind and remembered <laughs> that. And he's uh, he's taken a liking to it. I mean, he's he's – He's understanding more this year the concept of, uh, you know, we don't just go out and shoot a deer, that we're going out and hunting. They have right. to be close enough and more of that concept of it. So he's he's really taken a liking to it so far. So I hope we can uh, at some point here get out and do some more hunting with him. So. Yeah. yeah. It'll be fun to see him get his first deer. I got pictures of you with, uh, I think the rifle's bigger than you are. Yeah, probably, yeah. Wow. Close to it. You know, and like you said, they grow up fast and, you know, you only get to have a first once, you know, so right. cherish it, enjoy it. You and um, my big thing is just positive experience, you know, let them enjoy it. If we don't pass it on to these next, you know, generations of kids and stuff, I mean, the the art of hunting will just be gone. I mean, that was, we talked about a little bit ago, just the, the woodsmanship being almost non-existent. I mean, that will come to the art of hunting. Right. Um, you and know. you can't do that with a video game either. No. Video games have the right place, but... Uh, you know, and I'm I'm not a big fan of them. I never got into the video games, um, but uh, I just think the the opportunity to get outdoors and to see everything. I mean, I'm I'm 35 years old, and I'm still learning about what different types of birds are and plants, and you know all the stuff that I just didn't know. I never had the opportunity to know, um, but it, it can be very uh, rewarding once you start figuring out what some of these things are, and you know how they progress, or some of the birds that migrate through and sure. um, stuff like that. So. I want to try to pass that on to my son. And, you know, he may end up not taking to it. You know, maybe he ends up being something he doesn't want to do. Not going to force him to do it. I'm not going to let him just uh, not go because he wants to sleep in, you know. Yeah. I mean, if, but uh, if he gets to the point where he's just not into it, I'm not going to force him to do it. Maybe my daughter will be into it. I don't know. Maybe they both will. I'm That's not sure. Yeah, get them but both. I want to give them the opportunity. Um, and let them kind of make their own decision on if it's something they want to do or not. And the way I look at it is, is if neither one of them do, that's more deer for me to go after, I guess, yeah. you know. But, um, but you know, hunting is more than just going after the animal. It's it's watching the sunrise, watching the sunset. And it has to be because very rarely is it successful. It, being know? out there when the when the storms come through and, uh, you know, seeing a snowfall like Tyler and I just talked about, that's, a, that's all part of the – Part of the experience of being in the outdoors and part of hunting. And just to see the, the change of the timber, you know, and I, I went to that stand uh, the other day, and I hadn't been there in a few days, and a lot more of the leaves had fallen. Yeah. You know, you look through and you can see so much more, but certain leaves were still holding on. And um, just to watch that progression from, you know, October 1st here till November 10th, um, just to see how things change. Yeah. And you can't get that from um, – the city or from a textbook or anything like that. I mean, you just got to go out there and sit and listen, you know, listen the other morning I was sitting there and, uh, heard some turkeys fly down, heard the fly down cackle from them. Yep. And then they were doing a little bit of yelping. Yep. Um, and just listen to it all morning long, you know, just stuff like that, that yeah. I think everybody should experience that. Well, even a smell, I mean, it's like the, the smell of a uh, fresh cut grass, you yep. know, it, there's a, the, the smell of fall in the air is uh, different than what it is in the springtime. And, you talk about fresh earth. I know that's one of the scents we use yep. or cover scent, but there really is a smell out there that you can associate with different parts of You know, and just the cold air, you know, when that cold air comes through, it just kind of puts a different perspective on the yeah. smells that are already out there and yeah. uh, and whatnot. So that's just because it, you know, changes your, uh, your glands there for smelling, Mike, when it's really, really cold. Of course, you're probably in the blind. Yeah, it's about <laughs> like, some of 74 degrees. We're gonna, 74 we're degrees. How cold he was today. 14 degrees. How cold was it, Tyler? It was cold. 
Yeah, I, I sent him a. And how did you stay warm? Hey, I I got me some new Sitka this year, and it uh, it works. He's it's good stuff. He's huh? happy with that Sitka gear. I'm not going to complain by any means. It's good. They uh, that's the, staying warm. That's always the the number one thing. It's always been my biggest problem. Year after year was always staying warm, and I always felt like the the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man of having. Yeah. way too many layers on yeah, that you yeah. couldn't hardly function and now i feel like i i leave the house and i don't have a whole lot of clothes on but i go out and i stay warm and i mean it's uh it's technology worth, you it's know worth it's investment. just how how things how things change so um well walt again i appreciate uh you giving us a little bit of history of of hunting and yeah, you know what you. it was like back then and uh, I guess I didn't get into it at, at much, but uh, Walt kind of mentioned he was in the police academy. He's a retired chief of police in one of our neighboring uh, towns and a, a role model of mine and, you know, one to uh, look up look up to as an aspiring young cop. I never had the opportunity to get to work for you, but I definitely learned a lot of things from you. Um, now that I'm a chief of police uh, as well. Um, You're doing quite well. Yeah, well, the, the bar has been set high. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, um, I guess I knew you before I knew Tyler, you know, um, we told that story as well about after I bought my farm and you'd said that I should get a hold of Tyler. And, um, so that's how I did. And that's kind of how that friendship got started was, was good. through you. That's so, good. um, but, uh, I, I've always, uh, respected, uh, you and your work. And the more I get to know you and, you know, your family, uh, you always welcome me like I'm, I'm one of the own, you know, one of your own. Well, so I want you back here. Yes. Keep and, coming. And, and I enjoyed, you know, we come down here for Turkey camp every year, which we will come back and record, a, an episode this April. I mean, this, it, that's one of my favorite times of the year. Mine too. Part of it's because of the fry bread, but, um, you know, just uh, some of the comments. Bill Gowdy here. Yeah, we'll, we'll get uh, Bill Gowdy on. We definitely hopefully. have good food. So that's that's the main thing. So We have food anyway. Um, so this was day one of your guys' rifle season. Uh, how long does it go? Ten days. Ten, Ten days. days yeah. It goes to the 20th. So what uh, what's your guys' plan for Illinois gun season? I'm not hunting Illinois. I didn't get a tag this year. I you didn't? I, I forgot about doing that. Oh, you no. didn't get a tag for Illinois? Somebody didn't remind me to send it in. Well, hey, you know, you're getting older, <laughs> I'm Dad. over 21, right? Yeah. yeah. Wow. All right. I'll probably be hunting Illinois. You're going to hunt Illinois. Yeah, I've got uh, – I'll probably hunt here tomorrow morning, and i got some work work uh, obligations here for the next few days, and I may slip back down here on, oh, I don't know, Tuesday. Probably Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, maybe sometime in there. and then i got to work on Tuesday, but otherwise I'm off for the whole duration. So you're gonna still get some some seat time in down here at camp and boy I don't know yeah I, I yeah I'm gonna get some seat time in I'm not sure I can do them all day things if I didn't I didn't take any water any food with me today and so I'm gonna have to change it yeah and uh, pack well, some rations for nor- sure normally when you go for all day you've got a thermos of coffee and a thermos of some warm food yep. and yep. all the essentials so if you plan accordingly you'll be fine the rest of this week okay well yeah so and by the way I do like that chair. It's, you should. It's unbelievable. It is. I I need another one. You know, one of mine has it and one of them doesn't. We're talking about the bank's blind chair that they offer. It reclines. I, I just, Captain's chair. I yeah. don't know what it is. It looks like a standard office chair, but it feels nothing like any office chair I've yeah. ever sat in. I agree. Um, the arms go back. Yep. That's, that's key, I think, especially if you're in an archery situation. Of course, I've shot two deer out of it. And out of that chair, neither one did I fold the arms back on. Well, there you go. Yep. So, I mean, it, I didn't think about it. And the way I turned, they just weren't in the way. But that option is there if you need it. But they're just comfortable. There is one thing I did notice about it. 
it would help if your bank's blind is level. Oh, yeah. Otherwise, you'll, you'll roll a little bit. I thought that was No, it's not the roll. It's in. when you lean back in that chair. Oh, it gets a little too much if top heavy. If you're on the downhill side, uh, I haven't tipped it over yet, but I certainly Come think awfully close, it, yeah. yeah. So I think I'll level the blind. Was that in your nap, or when was that? No, no, no. I, oh. No. I don't take naps. Yeah. <laughs> so, very often. <laughs> the very first year you had that blind, I believe you hunted the first five days of rifle season Missouri, daylight to dark. And I have never done that. I mean, it's never. I mean, spend that much time in the woods. I haven't done it's that. It's a different world, though, in those things. Of course, you, know, you took coffee and food. Yeah. And the so only thing I don't like about them is that you can't, can't hear. You can't hear. Yep. So you, you miss those uh, uh, squirrels that are raising heck. and squirrel or, land. or the crows. Squirrel land, or, yeah. Yeah, 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 squirrel land. Yeah. You don't hear all of that uh, that other stuff that's going on. So you and, you got to be aware of that. And that would be my only downfall. But I still – I'll try to open a window. So do I. You know, you got to be careful with the wind. But if I feel that the wind is right and the odds are small that something may get downwind of me, I open that window to get some of that fresh air. Even at night when it was cold and I didn't have a heater, I still open that window to get some of that cold air blowing in my face yeah. just to – feel feel it a little bit you know there um, is a certain aspect with a box blind that you lose for over a just a standard lock on or ladder stand mm-hmm. you know you have that, that there's always those blind spots and then just the sounds that you hear in the woods yeah. and yeah, you get to 360 and uh, yeah be able to but i just feel so comfortable in one you know i'm a large guy and you get me in a tree stand i just it's hard for me to hide, you know. I don't feel that I can relax as much. I mean, in that blind, I mean, I've got stuff kind of laid out where it needs to be. And well, wait, as you get older, you worry more about falling and, well, and how high up that is and how hard it's going to – I've never fell out of a tree stand yet, and I hope I never do, but that is one of my concerns. And, and, and mine as well, and that's why I only hunt ladder stands um, that I feel is a little bit safer. I can always have three points of contact onto that. Yep. Um I think I would have more success and probably get busted less from a tree if I was hunting a hang-on with just some sticks that um, stuck to the tree instead of that big old ladder. You could get higher, but I just don't feel comfortable with it, Um, and I'm not going to put myself in a situation that I don't feel good about. Um, It's not worth it for a deer. I know this is probably a topic for a different time, but uh, Bill, my buddy Bill I used to hunt with all the time, he's passed now, but... He was notorious. He he could climb a tree and get six, eight feet off the ground and stand on a limb, and uh, his wall would tell you what what kind of a success he wow. had. You know, he didn't rely. He'd, he'd take a really small stand, something he could pack a mile. Everything was a mile for right. for Bill. It seemed like, but uh, he could pack it for a ways and, and put it up and 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 bring it back out with him the same night. And I think a lot of his success was the fact that he changed stands yes. often. They yeah. say the first sit in the stand is the best opportunity. Yeah, I mean, he carried in, hop up, and he he's liable to kill a buck. Yeah, and he was a heck of an outdoorsman too. Oh, you know, all the way yeah. around from yeah. squirrel hunting, you know, oh, yeah. uh, to to fishing. Just don't hold hunting. a squirrel while he's using a knife. Well, <laughs> that, I I had heard that, um, but if you take your time when you were skinning squirrels, you get one or two done. Bill, he was he'd just go ahead and finish them up for you. He yeah, he had a direct split. Yeah, he, wow. he was good at it. So. Um, so there is something to that. You know, there's a lot of public land guys these days uh, that are walking in and getting kind of aggressive, but they're packing their stands and on their backs sitting in a tree. They may blow some deer out, but they feel that's their best shot. But then yep. the next time they're setting up somewhere else. So um, there's something to that, and that is a downfall to me. Just having ladder stands, they're not very mobile. I need help to get them up and to get them moved. Um, so I'm kind of stuck, you yeah. know. Um, there, so there's there's a cer- yeah, there's a certain aspect that I think that, you know, we try to pattern deer 
And I think at the same time is, you know, the deer are pattering us. Yeah. If we're consistently going to that stand. Without and a doubt. I mean, yep. they, they pick up on those sorts of things just like we pick up on what they're doing. I mean, they're not yeah. – I mean, they're uh, – They don't have trail cams, though. No. Yeah. Not, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They don't have, uh, you know, uh, documentary pictures of us all the time yeah. when we're coming in and going out. But You know, and that's something with myself that I've really uh, worked hard on this year is my entry and exit, getting in, getting out, you know, without – um, bumping any more deer than you had to. Right. Uh, and I think that plays a large key in it. And then also just hunting the wind. And I've got two stands and two blinds, and they all kind of have a, a favorable wind that is better than the other ones. So if I don't know where to go, the wind can kind of tell me, well, this is your best spot, or at least cut it in half. Right. Gives me two different options, which helps me sometimes. And just like tonight, I've seen that deer that I thought, uh, that mule deer that I thought may be um, a shooter, and he come from a spot that I had been sitting, and some guys would have been mad. Well, I wasn't there. Well, I didn't have the wind for that spot. So I was sitting the next best spot, uh, which was a good spot for the south wind that I had, and I was still able to see him, but I didn't feel bad because if I would have hunted that stand, he probably would have busted me anyway. Yeah, so might not even see him. Yep, so it's it's. I think if you're going to – you know, set up locations where you can hunt about any wind because you can't bank on a north wind or a northwest wind. I mean, no. you're allowed to have three days of east winds. You just never know. Right. Um, so try to give yourself at least a chance to get out there. And that's the one thing I feel, even though I only have four spots to go, regardless of the wind, I have a spot that I can get out and hunt. You got opportunity. And sometimes that's all you have to do is just get out there and, right. and hunt. That's so, right. um, so I think that's going to wrap it up. Anybody have any final thoughts or anything that uh, you want to get to before we get out of here? Tree stand safety. Make sure you use those harnesses. Yes. Uh, you know, you got. I've got grandkids. I got a kid. You got kids. Yep. You got to be there for them. That's right. Buckle yeah. up. Um, and sound uh, like cop, don't we? We do. We do. <laughs> we, we sound like cops, but it, there's something to it. I mean, um, they're affordable. Um, they're not. I used to not wear one until I had kids, yep. and then I went and bought one. Yep. Um, I'm not using the Lifeline, um, which I think is a great invention. And I think if I wasn't hunting out of a ladder stand, I know I would be using them. Um, that way you're connected to the tree from the ground to the, to the stand all the way up. Yep. Um, but uh, that's, even that may change. I still may find myself you know, using one of those. But I feel comfortable climbing up the ladder. Um, but be safe. I mean, yeah. it's not worth it for, for any deer. Yeah. Um, Same way with pulling up a loaded gun or a loaded bow or I have a crossbow now. Yep. Make sure you don't have them loaded up. Yep. Um, point the muzzle down i you mean bet. you don't want to be pulling that thing up looking at it with a no. muzzle pointing right at you you know even if it's unloaded don't do it yeah. you know i mean uh just basic basic firearm safety but sometimes i think we can get a little laxed and sit on our thumbs a little bit and that's yep. when accidents won't happen to, happen to me yep um so uh enjoy it enjoy creation you know the there's so much out there um that we're all thankful to get to to experience um I know I don't take it for granted because I had several years where I didn't have that opportunity. I couldn't find a place to go sit in a tree or under a tree. Now that I have it, I, I make sure I enjoy every bit of it. And uh, the tradition of firearm season, it started here in Missouri. Illinois is coming. Um, enjoy those traditions. Pass those traditions on. Um, teach your children or your nephews or the neighbor kid or something. Mentor somebody. If you know somebody that wants to get out and hunt, Take please them. do what you can to get them out there and get them that, that experience. Because coming from a kid that wanted to and never had that opportunity, I know how much I would have appreciated it. Um, so if you get that chance, don't uh, – don't hesitate to do it. Okay. So, 
You bet. Um, so anyway, so that's going to wrap it up. Uh, I thank you all you guys for listening. Um, please make sure that you check us out uh, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube at Deerland pa- Podcast. You can check us out at the DeerlandPodcast.com. You can download us at any place that you download your regular podcast. Make sure you like, comment, and subscribe. And we hope that you will be coming back for our next episode. We have uh, that one lined up. We're going to have Ryan Kirby from Ryan Kirby Art. And also we're going to have the story of Louis Zinn's buck that he just killed here a few days ago. So you want to make sure that you check it out once we get it loaded. Have a good day. Have a good week. Enjoy gun season and please be safe. Be safe.